0: Thank you. So I'll set the context just a little bit. For the last few months, we have been going through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. The first three chapters are all about God's blessing. All the ways that he blesses us, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He's adopted us into his family, his children. He's forgiven us our trespass. He's given us the, the Holy Spirit as a down payment. It is a positive in our hearts. That we have an inheritance uh, waiting us in the fullness of the kingdom. First three chapters all about God's blessing. The last three chapters, four through six, are all about okay, what happens now that we have been given a share and a participation in God's life? Um, And so we can talk using the words of like application, like, "Hey, this is what it looks like. This is what it would mean for me." These are the kind of patterns that began to take shape in my own living and being and doing because of what God has done for me. And so we find ourselves this morning in chapter 5. It's the second section of what participation in Christ looks like. Last week I left you with a question. Uh, You remember Ignatius Brian Chaninov said the beginning, the first step in this life of discipleship um, is the ardor of zeal, sort of foundation is the ardor of zeal. You have to want to be filled with all the fullness of God. So how much do you actually want that? How much do you even spend any time whatsoever thinking about that? I know that that's not first on my list typically, but how much do you want it? This morning, Paul is going to encourage us to become imitators of God. That sounds bold to me. To become an imitator of God. God who spoke and things came to be. God who upholds everything that is, you and me, and all that exists by the word of his power. Can we create out of nothing? Can we sustain even our own lives or even our own thoughts? How do we become imitators of God? I think think that our text this morning, the rest of it, is going to open up some of this for us. Um, But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father... You're the one who generates and gives, and we come before you this morning open to receiving all that you have to give. We pray that as we take up this posture of openness and reception before you, that you would be at work in our own hearts, uh, reaching into them, uh, placing within us the good seed that brings forth life. We pray that you would work the power of your spirit in us so that we might become something new something even that looks a bit like you. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, I was in Tennessee. I was on study leave at a place called Fairhaven Ministries, which is just over in Roan Mountain, and you take a left and a hairpin turn and go way back um, into the hollow there, and there's no self-service, there's no internet, there were no crying children, and it was very restful for me. I slept like a baby. Well, not like my baby, but I, I slept well. Um, it was a great week of rest and of learning and of stretching and of growing. Um, all of us, there were six other pastors there, and we all took COVID tests before going so that we wouldn't have to be concerned about, you know, sharing viruses and bringing them back to our families or churches. Um... Sounds nice for me, doesn't it? You might be wondering about Leslie. Uh, Thankfully, her mother also took a COVID test and was able to come and spend the week with them. Uh, They're really excited for this. In fact, when we told them that, that Mimi and Papa were coming up to stay, they asked, can we hug them? And we said, yes, which they haven't done in months upon months. And they screamed, they were so excited. Mimi and Papa drove up the driveway. The kids went down the steps, and they didn't even make it down before Mimi and Papa had already gotten to them. They were just hugging. Uh, it's amazing the things that we miss. Uh, it's amazing how much kids need that kind of physical touch and interaction and love expressed. We welcomed them inside, which we haven't been able to do in months upon months. And we were sitting in the living room, and I was in the rocking chair, and everyone else was kind of scattered about. And I looked over, and to my left was Papa. Leslie's dad sitting on the couch, and in his lap had crawled Anna, and she had collapsed atop him. She had this arm around his neck, resting up on his shoulder, and this other arm draped down his back, and she had her head resting on his shoulder. She was completely limp. This Anna is the Anna who is always imagining something, always pretending something, rarely present, always somewhere else. But now, for a moment with Papa, she was completely and entirely content to be with him. I could see her face. Um, it was peaceful. It was filled with pleasure. She wasn't pretending anything, she wasn't anywhere else. She was right there. She wanted to be with Papa. And she was. So hold on to that image for a minute and, and jump with me to Sunday afternoon. I Sunday evening I go to Rhone Mountain. So, uh, Monday morning, we're opening up a work by Father Simeon Erasmo Lieva Maracaicus. I'm gonna test you on that later. And in this book, he's taught it's called The Way of Disciple The Way of the Disciple. It's what I spent my work, uh, my week working on. Way of the Disciple, chapter one. He says the foundational attitude of a disciple, of a Christian, of someone who's following Jesus, of someone who loves Jesus, who wants to receive from God's life, the foundational uh, sort of attitude is and must be a desire to be with him. At which point I said, well, goodness, how much time do I spend saying, Lord, I'll... I just want to be with you. You are Emmanuel, God with us. God who came to be with us in this world as one of us, even went to a cross for our sakes, wants to be with us that bad, who actually has promised that He will never leave us or forsake us. That He will, lo, He will be with us even to the end of the age, always. He is always within us by the Spirit in our hearts. How much time do I spend? Desires to be with Him. So I was trying to sort this out, and I was taking a walk on Evergreen Lane, which is this uh, kind of winding gravel path, single-lane road through the woods. Um, In Tennessee, the leaves are still on the trees. So there was a lot of color above me. Up to the left was a mountain down below. was a roaring creek echoing through the gorge. As I walked, I found a little footpath to my left and took a few steps up and began to ascend up to this high point, Seeking to be with God, whatever that would look like, be like, feel like. How could I offer myself? And as I was doing that, having not thought a second thing about it, except, oh, how sweet. The Lord gave me this image of Anna with her head resting upon Papa's shoulder. Peaceful, content, full of pleasure and delight, totally present, totally with him. No other agenda. And the joy and the happiness and the contentment that was on her face. This child who's always somewhere else was right there. And the Lord gave me that image in that moment. And it was like, this is what it's like. This is what I have for you. This is what I desire to give to you. To be with me. Desire to be with him. foundational reality of just what it means to be a Christian a massive invitation to you this morning maybe that will be homework for this week is to take five minutes every day and to put down your phone and to turn off the TV and to put away your books and any distraction and take five minutes and say Lord I just want to be with you and see what he might do and say to you in that time but I got a quote for you They'll we'll move us into the next uh, part of the passage. So I want you to listen to this, this quote from Levi Markakis. It's pretty good. He says, We must return time and again to the Creator's hands, or arms, perhaps. Return to the darkness of the cynical, which is, which is another word for the upper room to the darkness of the upper room in Jerusalem, between ascension when Jesus ascends to the Father, between ascension and Pentecost when Jesus sends the Spirit, that that empty, open space. must return again to the cave of Bethlehem where Jesus was born, that place of hidden adoration. Return to the Lord's tomb and abide within its marvelous emptiness. Return continually to the womb of the church. There to be reshaped by the same Spirit that conceived Jesus in the womb of the Blessed Mary. Christian life is at bottom about being continually rejuvenated and recreated by the power of the Spirit. This doesn't happen automatically. We must want. There's that question again. How much do you want it? We must want to be made young and new again. I invite you to listen carefully and listen well, for this too is the word of the Lord. Following along, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5, just the first two verses. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. One more time. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So do you see the themes that have been swirling in my mind and my heart all week? This picture of Anna, this beloved child in the arms of her grandfather, completely at peace, completely with him, desirous to be with him. This invitation as a disciple, for this to be the foundational reality of my life, of your life, to desire to be with God, in this picture of a child in the arms of a grandfather, being some approximation of that. And then this call to become imitators of God. How? So I was turning this over. Part of what came to me is the reality of being a beloved child. Be an imitator of God. How do you do that? Well, as a beloved child, a child is radically open to whatever is before it. Children are not bothered by, you know, cable news and the frequent kind of election spin and the upcoming um, kind of election moment in our country and, and all of the things that we see and we're troubled by. The children aren't particularly troubled, although they are aware, but moment to moment they don't have the pandemic on their minds. Children are radically open to receive, well, from God. They're radically open to receive from the others around them. And the world in which they inhabit. An openness to reception. And then, I want you to notice something. And this is where the doctrine of the Trinity is actually important. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. The Father's role in the life of the Trinity, we've been This has been revealed to us in the scriptures. The Father's role is to generate and to give. To generate and to give. That's what the Father does always and continually. Generates and gives. The Son's role, the second person of the Trinity, the Son doesn't beget life. The Son is begotten. The Son isn't generating. The Son is actually, and giving, the Son is actually open and receiving. Like what? A child even became a child. The Son is open and receives, even as a child is open and receives. So what I thought we could do, if we're going to try to become imitators of God, we can't try to be the eternal Father, right? But what we can do is imitate the Son who has come and revealed His life to us and given us something to imitate, to follow, to live into, to share in. So what I want to do really quickly is just go from the womb to the tomb and a little beyond and note how open and receptive Jesus is at every turn. Now that is, at first blush, going to seem a little bit passive. But Jesus is not passive. He is open and receptive. We think of Jesus and we think of his great and immense power as Lord of heaven and earth who is trampled down death by death. But what I want you to see is how that happened. And at every point, like a child, Jesus is open and receives. He's the Son of the Father. So if you would, go with me to the womb of Mary. The tradition of the church will describe Mary's womb as being wide as the heavens, right? Which is trying to understand and grapple with and reveal the paradox of the fact that God the Son, whose glory fills the heavens... Has become incarnate, has become a fetus in the womb of a woman in first century Palestine. They say that her womb is wide as the heavens. How does that work? But could you imagine anything more open to creative possibility than a fetus? A fetus isn't in the womb of its mother. A child, a baby taking shape in the womb is not in there saying, okay, now I'm going to grow this ear a little more. It's not how it works. Nutrients and oxygen and everything they need is coming from elsewhere, radically open. Jesus so desired to be with you that he opened himself up to this reality. And then he was born and placed in a manger, a manger open to the elements, open to the animals who wanted to come by and grab a bit of hay, uh, open at the same time to the angels who came and pointed and sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men, open um, to the poor shepherds, poor Jewish shepherds who came and wanted to offer and worship and praise and share everything that had been revealed unto them, open To the life of his mother and his earthly father there who were treasuring up these things, pondering them in their heart, open to the kings from the east who came to give gifts, honoring his divinity and his glory and anticipating his death and his uh, being wrapped again in swaddling clothes and laid in a tomb open to all of this, open to the world. Can you imagine anything more open and receptive than a baby who is lying in many ways helpless? Jesus came to us even in that space. He grows a little bit. He goes to the temple. Do you remember this? Um, we see Mary and Joseph go to the temple to celebrate the, the festival. And then they go home and they think in this grand caravan that Jesus is going with them. But then they can't find him two days later. And where is he? He's still back in Jerusalem. He's sitting with the scribes and the teachers of the law. What? Open to receiving the word. The words of the Torah. Being shaped by the history of God's people. He's open to this. Yes, they're amazed at, at how much he can understand and how advanced he is for his age in understanding these things. But he is—he oh, just wants more and more. I must be about the things of my Father, he says. He grows a little more. This one who is radically open to everything that the Father gives. Showing us what true humanity looks like. This one grows a little older. His ministry is about to begin. Where does he go? He goes to the River Jordan to be baptized. Can you imagine anything more open, more receptive and in one sense more passive than being baptized by someone else, taken down, lowered into the waters, drawn up by someone else out of the waters. Jesus in this moment submits to the baptism of his cousin John. The heavens part. The voice of the Father speaks as the voice of the Father speaks. Words of blessing. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit's at work coming down, alighting upon Jesus, blessing him, empowering him for what he has been called to do anointing him as the as the messiah the anointed one of god but what's jesus doing he's out in the middle of the water open receiving receiving the call receiving the blessing receiving the empowerment by the spirit it's what enables him then to go immediately from there into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil and what's he tempting him to do at every point to take control to take charge to take power You're hungry? Don't be hungry. Don't be open. Literally, open, your stomach's empty. Don't do that. No, turn these rocks into bread. There's no need for you to be empty. What does he do? He tempts him to bow down and worship the devil. And he says, all the kingdoms of the earth will be yours. Don't be open and receptive to what the Father wants to give you. No, I'll give you everything right now. We'll take a shortcut. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to remain open and remain receptive like a child to whatever the father gives, wherever he leads. He does this over and over again throughout his whole ministry. From there, he goes to Capernaum, goes to the house of Peter's mother-in-law, and he begins proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, repent, believe the good news of the gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then what does he do? He begins healing everybody. That looks powerful, doesn't it? Everyone in the whole community who has any illness or is lame or weak in any way comes and is healed by Jesus. At which point we say, ah, now he's arrived. But what does he do? While everyone else is asleep, he wants so much to be with the father that he gets up before the break of dawn, goes out away from the crowds and prays. Casts himself like Anna upon Papa's shoulder and is with the father. His disciples come and say, hey, look, everybody's ready for you to come back. What are you going to do now? And he says, no, the father wants me to go on to the next place. And he does. Again, radically open and receptive to whatever the father's will is. Jesus says over and over again, I don't even say a word without the father having given it to me. I don't do a thing without the father having empowered me and called me to it. The father generates and gives. The Spirit alights and gives power. Jesus, the Son, the one in whose image we are made, is open and receptive to God at every point. Certainly he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where he, goes, he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's going to be put to death. He knows great suffering is before him physically, emotionally, spiritually. not sure that we can even imagine. This is before him. He's sweating blood. He's voicing all of this to the Father. He's in prayer all night long in that open, empty space that is the vigil. And in the end, he prays what? Not my will, but your will be done. And he's open to whatever comes. And so he's drawn to Pilate who accuses him and examines him and judges him. And he remains silent, open, receptive to whatever comes. The cross comes. And he is as open and receptive as his arms are stretched wide. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's still open to us even in that moment. He says, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Still open to us says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I give it to you. I'm open to you. I submit to your will and obedience. The soldiers mock him. If you're so powerful, if you're really the Son of God, come down from there. And certainly he could. Uh, he remained open and receptive. He's, he's laid in the tomb. Can you imagine a place that looks more passive, that looks more empty, but at the same time is filled with more possibility than the tomb of Jesus? And the Father generates... And gives. The Spirit, the power of the Spirit gives life, and Jesus is raised from the dead, having trampled down death by death, and is called Lord of heaven and earth, ascends to the right hand of the Father. And then do you know what the disciples do? They follow in the exact exact same path, just like Marcaicus says, they gather in the upper room, in between the Ascension and Pentecost, in this empty, open space, wondering what comes next. This, this upper room that looks like Mary's womb. This, this upper room that looks like the cave of Bethlehem. This upper room that looks like even like the tomb of Jesus. And what do they do? They pray. That's what they're doing there. They're praying. They're wanting to be with God. And what does God do? He sends the Spirit, empowers them for it. Well, we're standing here. I think the call this morning is for you to be open, completely and totally and radically open to whatever God has for you in the next moment. And that's kind of scary. We don't know what the election brings. We don't know what the pandemic's going to do. There's so many things we don't know, but what is God calling us to? At every moment, to be with Him. And when you're with Him and your face looks like Anna's did, full of pleasure and delight and contentment and peace and enjoyment. At that point, it actually becomes pretty easy to receive whatever God gives. Because you know the one who is giving it only wants to bless whatever may come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.